Welcome to the Enchanted Ears Podcast, where we discuss anything and everything Disney. I'm Angela. And I'm Joe. And on today's episode, we're going to be covering Rye and the Last Dragon and WandaVision. So spoilers ahead. Many spoilers. Muchos spoilers. If you have not seen either of those, which I think probably most of the world has seen those on account of what I've seen on social media. It seems like everybody's <laughs> seen these now. But if you have not, we're heading into spoiler territory. But you got a little bit of time before we get to spoiler territory, because we have theme park news galore today disney announced a lot but first i want to talk about universal they actually announced at the end of last week after we had recorded last week's episode that they are restarting construction on epic universe so this is an entirely new theme park that they're building in orlando it is the third theme park fourth as universal calls it because of volcano bay they consider third and i know we don't talk about universal a lot but i think this is really important and it's a really good sign for Disney fans and just theme park lovers as a whole that Universal is restarting construction on this because they paused it due to the pandemic. Nobody knew how long it was going to be on hold and then it came out that they're going to be restarting soon. So I think that just goes to show that at least Universal sees light at the end of the tunnel for this and they do see demand coming back for the theme parks that they're confident in restarting this. And I think that's a good sign for Disney too, and potentially restarting a lot of their construction. I mean, I'm really excited to hear about this park. I'm excited. I, I think, you know, we've, we haven't been to Universal in several years, so I can't wait to actually get back there. Um, and then, of course, it bodes well for Disney. So all around good news. Yeah. And, and this theme park, Epic Universe, is supposed to have the Nintendo Land. I think there's supposed to be a Universal Monsters Land, a How to Train Your Dragon Land. So there, there's a lot of exciting properties going into this. And like we've talked about before, anytime Universal does something huge, Disney always has a response. So Universal and Harry Potter. Yeah, I mean, Universal got Harry Potter. Disney went out and got Avatar and Star Wars. So I think now that, you know, Universal is building another theme park. I'm not saying Disney builds another theme park, but I do think Disney is going to have to restart some of those investments that they cut off to kind of keep up with what Universal has coming up. I think this is a perfect opportunity for, like I mentioned last episode, Zootopia Land or Oceanfront Land to come in. I do think you have a really good shot of seeing Zootopia at Animal Kingdom because there has been rumors of that and maybe some other you know, attractions like a Tangled Land. You know, They're building Tangled out in Tokyo, Disney Sea, maybe that coming, you know, stateside, but but definitely once this opens, I think they're targeting like 2023, 2024. So we still have a few years to go, but I think, you know, middle of the decade, Disney's going to have to do something big to kind of answer and pull people back from Universal to them. So again, I, I think it just bodes well and again, just kind of the industry as a whole that Universal's taking this step to, you know, invest billions of dollars in a new park, you know, that that they see that demand being there. Yeah. All right. But Disney has uh, some some good announcements as well. So California, we talked about this uh, last week or two weeks ago that they said theme parks could open April 1st. We kind of said Disney's not going to be open by then. It's too quick. But there was an investors uh, conference last week and Disney announced that they're targeting late April as an opening for Disneyland. And I think what the, the most positive note is, besides the theme parks opening, is they talked about all the cast members they're going to be able to bring back. I think they said they're going to be able to rehire, you know, starting with 10,000 cast members that had been laid off. They're coming back and you know, getting everybody retrained and, and back up to speed. And I think that's the, you know, the best part of this, is that a lot of the people who have lost their jobs during this pandemic are going to be able to come back to work. I mean, going back to Universal, they talked about that new theme park is going to add 14,000 permanent jobs in the Orlando area. So, you know, a lot of people have been struggling. So again, it, again, it's kind of light at the end of the tunnel. Cast members are going to be coming back to Disneyland. So they haven't given a specific date, but they said they're targeting late April. Yeah, this is excellent news. And I'm really excited to see things kind of going back to normal. Yeah, and we still have a long way to go to normal. So we talked about this when we talked about yeah. last week. I mean, they're going to be opening at 15% capacity. Only California residents can go. And they did say that the Avengers campus will not be opening with the rest of Disneyland in April. And I think that is because of the capacity limits. I think they probably want to wait until they can have more people in the parks. You know, with new rides, there's going to be a lot of people kind of congregating trying to ride those. So I think Disney's trying to wait that out because... 
they did announce a few months ago that like Avengers Campus was pretty much ready to go this year for whenever the park opened. Um, so I, I think they're kind of just holding off, maybe doing some finishing touches, but probably because of capacity. Or right over at Disney World, this was kind of a surprise to me, but we got an announcement that Remy's Ratatouille Adventure will be opening October 1st. And why this is a surprise is because all of the rumors and everything coming out has been that Remy's done. Yeah, I was going to say, I thought it was done. It's ready to go. And I think this kind of goes to show you that a couple things. One, it's like, strategic. Yeah. I mean, one, Disney's not ready to, again, open a ride in the same way they're waiting to open Avengers Campus. They don't want a huge influx of people because if you try to space everybody out six feet apart, everybody in Epcot is going to be waiting in line for Remy at one point. Well, you got to think about it. Summer is coming. That's when they have their heavy time of year because the kids are out of school. So they figure they're already going to get an uptick. People are excited because there is light at the end of the tunnel. So they're probably anticipating more guests than they've had before, you know, throughout this whole year. So they don't want to attract, you know, too many people in. So I think that they want something also that's going to keep you coming back, going into their, you know, lighter times, which is, you know, October, November. Well, I mean, October 1st is the 50th anniversary. So that's it's true. coinciding with that. But I think, <laughs> that's th true. I think this goes to show a couple of things. I think one, I think they have probably solid bookings to your point that they don't necessarily yeah. need a new attraction. I think two, I don't expect any major capacity increases for the next few months. Maybe in the summer we'll see some, but I don't think they're going to have any major capacity increases because again, you don't want everybody coming, standing in line for a new attraction when you have a reduced capacity. But I also think this goes to show how them cutting back on capital spending last year has pushed everything out where you know, we were supposed to get Tron and Guardians of the Galaxy for the 50th anniversary this year. I think it just goes to show how far back that stuff has slid, that they're holding Remy back until October 1st. So that, that way they have something new for the 50th to kind of promote, and then they can kind of ride that for probably six, seven <laughs> no months. No pun intended. Yeah, and, <laughs> and they could probably, you know, handle that until the summer of 2022 before we get any of these other new attractions. So I think this just kind of goes to show how much of their stuff has slipped and how much they've pushed back that they are now basically a ride that we were hearing could potentially open in February or March here with flower and garden, you know, is getting pushed back to October 1st. So I think you can expect everything else to kind of get shifted back six or seven months and they'll probably sprinkle these new attractions out throughout the 50th anniversary. Like pixie dust. Yeah, may, yeah, maybe every, I mean, it's 18 months. So maybe every, you know, four or five months you get something new coming out. But well, I mean, it's it's perfect though. Yeah, you you get people coming in to, to ride the one new ride. And then six, eight months later, they have to come back because you have another new ride. Exactly. So a little disappointing that's not opening till October 1st. But I again, I think it's a good sign. And the last thing Disney announced is the eventual... And people are saying it's a replacement to the Magic Band, but it's really not. It's kind of a complement to it. But it's called Magic Mobile, and it is essentially turning your Apple Watch, your iPhone, into a Magic Band. So that you'll be able to create an account, load your tickets, your credit card on there, and then instead of having to scan a Magic Band everywhere, you can just scan your Apple Watch, which I know you've kind of talked about that. It's like, why can't I just use my watch for this? <laughs> well, I mean, I've also, at the parks, gone to scan my Apple Watch instead of my Magic Band. So, yeah. Right. So perfect. So you'll be able to do that at some point this year. And I see a lot, you know, a lot of people are saying, oh, you know, magic bands are gone. But it's really not because they even said in the announcement, you'll still be able to use your magic band. They're still going to make new designs. I think this is just a continuation of the shift where if you're staying on property, you no longer get a free magic band. They're like five or ten dollars, depending on what style you get. So there's probably a lot of people that have iPhones, have Apple Watches that if you don't give me a free magic band, I'm not going to pay $5 for one. So just use what I already have. It's not something you need to get you know, extra, especially if you're only going once every four or five years. Why buy a magic band? See, I think this is a perfect opportunity for Disney to collaborate with Apple and create Disney watch Apple watch bands. Maybe it's coming. You get cool Disney characters on them. I, I think that, you know, that Apple is the, that is the allure of <laughs> the magic bands is because now 
you know, before it was just the plain colors, but now you can get people with characters. So you're right. Make Apple watch bands like that. Right. And like, you know, you can only, the thing that kind of stinks about Apple watch bands that I kind of have a hard time rectifying in my brain is when we go to the parks and you're like, Angela, do you want this really cool Apple watch band? It's $10. I'm like, you need a magic mm. band. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Whoops. Um, so I always think, okay, I'm going to wear it for what? Five days. And then when's the next time we're going to go to the parks? How long are these like magic bands going to be? in use so sometimes i struggle with spending that ten dollars when i know i could spend ten dollars on something else in the park yeah and apple watch bands are way more than ten dollars so disney would make out on that that's actually good they're so expensive i would actually much rather pay forty dollars for a disney one than an apple one definitely so yeah i'm not sure when this is going to drop but uh it's coming out sometime this year so all right so now we're getting into spoiler territory here so we're going to cover kind of the two biggest things that have been out on disney plus the uh past couple months here and I think have, have really landed pretty well kind of in the mm-hmm. pop culture kind of space. And, and two things I think we wanted to talk about, because I think, you know, WandaVision, now that it's over, there was a lot of theories and things. I, I think we didn't want to talk too much about as it was going on to not spoil things. But again, it's definitely over. And, and I think probably everybody's watched it. And, and Rye, which is, you know, probably the first big movie outside of Soul. So this is Disney animation. Soul was Pixar. So kind of the first, uh, you know, Disney animation movie that's dropped within the past year, the newest Disney princess here, and just kind of talk about that. Um, so just kind of cover both of those today. So we'll start with WandaVision. Okay. You know, I, I will say, and what's interesting is, I think these two are kind of linked in a, in a similar way. And I think they're both linked in a similar way that the hype machine kind of worked against them to a certain extent. <laughs> I think for us... Yeah, we have some hot takes. I don't think we agree a lot with a lot of what pop, pop culture is saying. Well, I think I think for you especially, and so we're going to kind of talk about both of my guests here a little bit, but for you especially, I think you were a little bit disappointed by Raya, and I think part of it is, and we'll kind of touch on this, that, again, it was the only really movie out there. You're starved for some yes, new content. You, right. You know, you see these trailers and you just put all your hopes and dreams in this one movie. <laughs> and I even mentioned this to you because after you watched it, you're like, ah, you know, I wasn't over the moon about it. It was a solid movie. And I said, yeah, but that's because we haven't seen anything. I was like, you know, if we would have seen, uh, you know, like you have Godzilla versus Kong coming out later this month. Like if we would have, if I would have made you watch that and then we would have watched the <laughs> Snyder cut and then you would have watched Rye, you would have been like, oh, finally cinema's back like i'm done watching these huge popcorn blockbusters that joe makes me watch this was a great movie but because none of that stuff has been out and this is all you've seen it's just such a build-up and so yeah you were a little bit let down by raya i i I would say that there's some truth there's a kernel of truth to what you said We're, we're really going into raya here but there's a kernel of truth to what you said but i also think that raya is lacking and I'll get into it. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into it. But but the point I was making is that I really think WandaVision, the hype machine, not for me so much, but I do think for a lot of people were disappointed by the finale and how it ended. And, you know, we talked about this when it first started that I just wish they would have dropped all of the episodes and I was uh, pleading to Kevin Feige, just, <laughs> just drop them. You know, Joe was just calling him up on the phone. Ring, ring. Kevin, Kevin, hey, hey, my friend, Kevin, uh, can we drop all these episodes at once? And Kevin was like, oh, yeah, sorry. Sorry, my man, Joe, I can't. I know, I tried. <laughs> but I, I have found out since then, because the directors and writers have done a lot of interviews um, since the show's come out, and they have said that the finale was only done like two weeks before it aired. So they didn't even have all the episodes done. So they couldn't have dropped them all at the same time. But part of what people love about the Marvel movies is going back to the comic books, going back to the source material and theorizing about what's going to happen. And there's just, you know, tons of articles each week and YouTube videos by countless people on what they think is going to happen. You know, to a point, it's good and it gets people interested in week to week. And, you know, everybody was saying, this is great that Disney's only doing one episode a week because it gets people talking. But then to a certain extent, the hype machine takes over and then people are disappointed because when none of that stuff happens, it's like a huge letdown to people. They're like, what about all the stuff everybody's been talking about? Well, what was the one, um, you know, we watched, we watched a film theory and Matt Pat pointed out that the one blonde character was actually the name of another witch. Um, I can't remember. Yeah. They thought there was a lot of theories out there that Dottie was another witch, that, that she was, uh, Clea from Dr. Strange, uh, comic book lore. 
And it turned out she was kind of like nobody, really. Well, she was just a, a Westview resident. See, here's here's my thought on that. because, And then even her husband, I think, had the same name as her husband did in the comic book. And I think there was a son, too. Like, there was a whole situation where I think that basically what they did was those were nods to your comic book people who, you know, know that. And they're like, oh, cool. Like, they use that as, you know, just to kind of fill out the world that Wanda is inhabiting right now. And if you know, you know. And it's just like a cool little thing. I mean, to me, but again, I'm not like a, you know, super comic book nerd. It wasn't disappointing as much as it's just cool that that's in there as an Easter egg. You're exactly right. And that's what Marvel does really well. And they do that in the movies a lot. But the thing is, you go, you see an entire two-hour movie, and then people dissect it afterwards. Oh, was this a nod to this? Is maybe something coming up in the next movie? And so you don't get overhyped about it before you see the movie as a letdown. Whereas in this, you start theorizing and you think Mephisto's coming, and you think the multiverse is coming. And then at the end of it, when it's just like, oh no, this legitimately was just a story about Wanda's kind of grief and her mental struggle and just kind of it was a tale for that and it's really just her and Agatha is is kind of the she's the antagonist in this really I mean mm-hmm. sword to an extent but not really but you know there's no big bad I mean the big bad is loss and grief and love and, and how all of that plays in together you realize oh okay that's what Marvel was going for we just read into way too much you know and, and made and made you know a mountain out of a molehill uh, and, and then so a lot of people I think are let down by that. But I think that also this has the ability to kind of have a different effect too, where again, I, I know people who we're friends with that aren't big Marvel fans who actually came in and watched WandaVision and they were drawn in by the story of this woman who, you know, yeah, she's a superhero, but really the story is about her grief and her, her grieving. And she's, I mean, she's a female protagonist. The, antagonist is, is female and so they were drawn on by those stories and the um her struggles and eventually how she deals with that at the very end and it's you know it's not pretty like the way that it all ends up for her but she deals with it in a really i don't know like eventually kind of adult accepting way um and i think that the the story that they told is beautiful and it also sets up a lot like is she going to go mad because it's really hinting towards you know right now she's still able to kind of walk that line and realize, you know, I was wrong and I need to like be a better person, but you can see she's kind of teetering. And so I I think that there's a lot here that this build up, it it basically was a big, long movie and it was awesome. Right. And to kind of touch on your points, I mean, one, this essentially was an origin story for Scarlet Witch. So they made it. They made a point about it that she has no superhero name. She's just known as Wanda Maximoff. But by the end, we find out she is the Scarlet Witch, and that outfit, the costume, oh is gosh. incredible. I love. Okay, I pointed this out to you while we were watching it. I'm sorry. I love the fact that it's high necked. There, this, I think this is the first female action figure who you don't see cleavage on at all. She actually has like this really awesome looking high necked thing that goes up around. So it's super awesome. And they said it was actually so well done and functional because Elizabeth Olsen actually helped design it. As they were testing it out, cool. she goes, okay, I can't do this move in it. I need to be able to do this or that. And they, and they would redesign it. And that's why it's actually kind of one of the more practical yeah. looking outfits. But it's incredible. I mean, yeah, it, it's I- a great like... Um, cosplay outfit and everything you and i have already talked about how that would be awesome for like us to go as uh vision and wanda maximoff or scarlet witch exactly and so but yeah so it's, it's really an origin story for the scarlet witch we kind of find out that the scarlet witch is almost an entity unto itself you know i yeah. mean wanda is the embodiment almost of the scarlet witch she was kind of given those powers by the mindset so it was an interesting kind of take on that it was an origin story but i think this just kind of goes to show to your point it's setting up a lot, and I think we we need to kind of level set our expectations on what these Marvel TV shows are going to be. And you know, WandaVision was written well before the pandemic, and well before like kind of the X Men universe was even really a thing. I mean, it was started before that, so I think our expectation that Wolverine was going to show up in this or something may have been a little bit far fetched. But I do think Marvel. And we'll see what happens with Falcon and Winter Soldier. But I do think they're kind of using these TV shows, like you said, as almost setup pieces. So we get an origin story for the Scarlet Witch. But if you missed it, 
you'll still be okay to watch Doctor Strange 2 because you know who Wanda is. You, you kind of know she's the Scarlet Witch even though they've never said that. So when she shows up and she has a little bit of a different costume, you might be like, oh, I wonder how that happened. But you're not going to be so taken out of the movie. But I, I do think you know a lot of the theories that this was going to be uh, opening the multiverse, a take on the House of M, I think are correct. I think it's just a much longer game. So to your point, she had her children. Turns out her children aren't real. And that's kind of what the House of M storyline is, that she realizes her children weren't real, and it drives her kind of insane, and she breaks open the multiverse trying to find them. And that's basically what the post credit sting foreshadowed. So she's reading the Darkhold, learning about her powers, and she hears her sons calling her. And her sons were basically creations of her own imagination. So when she hears them, she knows something's up. And so I think Doctor Strange 2 and the Multiverse of Madness is going to be, that's when we're going to get the multiverse opening up and Wanda is going to be splitting open the multiverse to try to find her children. And so I think what people were saying was right. I just think they're a little too soon with it. And and so I think the payoff is going to be down the road, which is what Marvel does a lot. I mean, if you look at Endgame, there were scenes in Endgame that paid off from 10 years before. Right. And I appreciate this too, because just to kind of jump ahead a slight bit to Raya, I think part of the big problem with Raya is everything seemed to come so quickly to her. She didn't really have to work for most of it. What One thing I appreciate about want or about uh, this is, and I, I mean, they have a little bit more of a palette to work with. They know that Marvel knows that they're going to be able to make movies and movies and movies, so they don't have to get anything too fast. But at the same time, they don't rush it. They let it be what it is, and they let it evolve fully. And so it, everything has a chance to kind of breathe and be its own thing. And so that's why this is so great. You know, we don't have to rush to get there. We're going to get... You, you know Marvel's going to keep making movies pat long past the time that we're, you know, six feet under. Like, they're just going to keep going. We're going to be living in space, and they're going to be making these movies. Yeah, so. yeah. Drinking our our meals in a cup. Yeah, and... <laughs> yeah, good, good Wally <laughs> reference there. Um, but I think, like, you know, Evan Peters as Quicksilver, I think that's another thing where people are disappointed by, but I see that as, a, as, again, it's a longer game. I think the fact that he was revealed to be Ralph, the Ralph that Agatha, uh, or Agnes, whatever you want to call her, kept talking about... I think that's a bit of a misdirect because, you know, at the beginning, Jimmy Woo said, I'm looking for a person essentially who's in witness protection. He's a missing person. He's under protection of the government. He was in Westview. And we never found out who that person was. And so I think that there is room that they could later say Evan Peters Quicksilver is a Quicksilver from the multiverse, from an alternate dimension. And he was under witness protection because he did have super speed. So even though Agatha was controlling him, could she have given him super speed? Maybe, but we were led to believe that she, she did. Right. But, but maybe you're right. It could have been she, a misdirect. And, yeah. and he was, and he was the one there kind of under witness protection because we never found out who that was. So I think there's a chance that that pays off later. And that's our introduction to the X-Men universe. So I think a lot of people that are disappointed by that, Again, I think you got to you got to play the long game with bit. it. Yeah, you got to play the long game with it. I mean, again, I talked about this I think a few weeks ago. The sitcom stuff I loved. I would watch <laughs> just a sitcom of the two of them, like a legitimate sitcom. It it was incredible. And I loved when they dropped that, and I thought it was great. Once they, I mean, that last last episode, you know, we talked about it. It did. It felt like a full blown movie. It was about a forty action. minute forty yeah. minute episode. Yeah. yeah, it was like so action packed. I loved the Vision versus Vision and how he basically logic Vision into being like, oh. I guess uh, I can't kill you because I am the Vision. Yeah, so Vision's back. And yeah, Vision's yeah. back. So I'm definitely thinking that that's going to be... I mean, I guess she could open up the multiverse and you know be with one of those Visions. Or, I mean, the the, the white... Uh, I don't know what... He's, yeah, white Vision. And then yeah. the comic books, it, it essentially happened like that. There's a white Vision. He's rebuilt, but he doesn't have all his memories. But then he slowly gets his memories back. And in the comics, more or less, essentially becomes Vision again. So... I think in the same way that like Gamora died and came back in Endgame, Vision died and came back. They're bringing everybody back. It's going to be sad that probably Scarlet or not Scarlet Witch, but um, Black Widow is the only one that actually doesn't come back. She stays dead. But who knows? Yeah. I I mean, they're talking about having Captain America back for a Captain America four. Chris Evans back. So, oh boy, I I think I think we could see an alternate version of Black Widow as well. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I, I just, I don't know. I think it's it's really cool that they left that open and kind of brought Vision back. I, I do think, you know, in the movies, Vision doesn't get enough. Like, I know you always liked Vision, and I didn't He doesn't quite, have a lot to do. I didn't get him until we watched this show, and then I felt like there was an interesting connection because, you know, he's this very interesting character of he's essentially a, a machine but he also is starting to find these like human emotions. And she, he, I think even in the show, they mentioned, he mentioned how Wanda has kind of helped him get that humanity about him. Um, I wish I could put it as eloquently and beautifully as he did, but essentially, you know, it's, he's, she kind of made him human. So yeah, he mentioned it. He said he was, he was a voice without a body and then he was a body, but not human. And then now he's a memory made real because she, the vision within the hex was one that she created. I mean, it, it wasn't his body at all. Like we were kind of led to believe at the beginning, it, it was a memory of him. And I think that, that was a really pivotal line as well that I think a lot of people didn't catch is that, you know, he asked, what am I? And she said, you're the piece of the mind stone that still lives within me, which I think is really interesting because the infinity stones were destroyed but Wanda's saying, I basically have a piece of the Mind Stone in me that, that's creating my power. So in a certain way, the Infinity Stones are still kind of around. And I wonder if they're going to utilize that. Like, I wonder if they're going that route that Wanda is still kind of the Mind Stone. Captain Marvel was powered by the Space Stone. And I wonder if they'll kind of say she has a piece of the Space Stone in her. And that's why she's so powerful. Maybe Doctor Strange connected with the time stone and he can still control time and have those powers. And I wonder if, so the infinity stones quote unquote are destroyed, but yet there's superheroes like that an have, embodiment of that them. have interacted <laughs> with them. Right. An embodiment. Right. That, that, that are still kind of, you know, supercharged with them. And so, you know, Scarlet, Witch, Dr. Strange, Captain Marvel are going to kind of be your, your main superheroes. Now, you know, kind of the strongest ones there, um, because they they are kind of empowered with pieces of the Infinity Stones. Yeah. Like, I thought it was a really interesting line that was kind of almost a throwaway. You know, it's very quickly said and kind of brushed off quickly. But I think it has potential major implications down the road. See, I saw that. I didn't. I saw it as part of the romance. Because I feel like, you know, it's this whole series was an action romance. It was the whole story of, like, yeah, her being so deeply damaged by her whole life and everything that's happened to her. And then her kind of creating, a, like, a world around her so she can feel what she feels like she... I don't want to say she's entitled to, but what she wants. So she creates this and then, yeah, it's just like part of that. Like there's a, there's a sweet sadness to the whole thing, but I am interested to find out if since, you know, it seemed like vision passed off the memories to white vision. If he then has those same thoughts, those same feelings, those emotions, and he has been made real essentially because that, you know, that memory is now in him. So I don't know. I, I think Yeah, I think that's where they're going. And like I said, that's that's kind of, from my understanding, like a similar line to what they did in the comic books yeah. as well. So I do think that's gonna happen. That was kind of the strangest part of the whole thing is that there was that vision no, on Dr. Vision Strange fight. wasn't in there. <laughs> he wasn't. There was rumors of that. Uh, and I think a lot of that stuff got cut too because of the pandemic, because they they filmed most of this before the shutdown and then they had they did some reshoots, like I think like in September. And so I think some of the people they wanted, like probably Doctor Strange was supposed to make a cameo at the end. Just the scheduling didn't work out. Yeah. But I do think that was the oddest part of the finale was that the vision on vision fight. And then all of a sudden, White Vision gets the memories and goes, okay, bye. And just flies off. And, okay, I see you. <laughs> yeah. And, and nobody cares. Like nobody mentions yeah. it. Like nobody's like, oh, wait, that one vision just flew away. Where did he go? So yeah. You know, I, I think that just is going to be a, an interesting little thing that we're all going to have to keep in the back of our minds. Like, when's he going to pop up again? Like, oh, you yeah. know he's out there. Like, you know he's going to pop up. But when is it going to be? And then, like, in what capacity? To your point, does he have all the memories back? Does he? It's like, just... the, it's like an ace in the hole. Like, when yeah. everything is, is completely just just everything is bad nobody is ever going to come out then this is when white vision but gonna is he going to be helpful i mean to your point he's he he has visions memories but does that mean he comes to the same conclusion as vision that yeah. that he should be helpful or does he become an adversary i mean there, there's a lot of ways they can go and i think that's interesting just to kind of keep that chess piece on the board 
and, yeah. and you really don't know what, what it's going to happen with it. So, yeah, it is really interesting. Yeah, so I'm excited. Again, I loved it. I thought it was great. Catherine Hahn was great. I'm glad they kind of kept her on the board as well. I think she comes back as Agatha to help uh, Wanda at some point harness her powers. So I, I think she did a great job. I don't. I think it was a smart move that you know they didn't kill her off or something like that. Yeah, Catherine Hahn's incredible. She's she's so uh, even as like a bad guy, she's lovable. She's yes. great. Yeah, she, she's great. So, so I think all that was good. I think this was uh, a really great start to the TV series on Disney+. Plus. I'm excited to see Falcon and Winter Soldier this week. I'm excited for Loki. So I think, again... Super excited for Loki. I think these are great. And I, I do think I'm going to have to try not to theorize as much on these. <laughs> again, I, I'm used to kind of like reading the speculation. So it's not as much of a letdown for me. But I do think a lot of people, when all week they just watch and read theories and then none of those come true. It's a bit of a letdown to me. I kind of like thinking of the potentials and seeing like, okay, this is the comic book inspiration. What are some different ways they can go? And then it makes it almost to me more enjoyable seeing, okay, I can see this is the route they're taking eventually or, Oh, they didn't go that way. That's okay. They're taking it a little bit of a different direction, but uh, yeah, I'm still extremely excited for all these shows. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of ego attached to that, too, where you're like, oh, this is the theory. This is what happens in the comic book. I know this because I know this stuff. And then if they don't do it, then you feel like, oh, man, like I've been proven wrong. And then there's a part of you that kind of takes umbrage to it a little bit. So I, I think there's a little bit of ego attached there, too. I mean, everyone likes to be right. So I understand. Yeah. And again, and I think the other thing is we have to reset our expectations because Marvel still very much is we are a theatrical release blockbuster i mean they are still saying that the black widow movie is going to be theatrical release only and i think that is still very much their push and kevin foggy even mentioned it that you know as a last resort they'll release it on disney plus but they want to you know hold out and release it in theaters and so i think while these tv shows are going to be very highly produced and they are going to be good and they are going to be very interesting stories i think the major stuff, the huge reveals, you know, the game-changing things like the snap, that's still going to be reserved for the movies. And so I think we kind of have to just reset our expectations that, sure, some interesting stuff can happen to move the stories along, but these are kind of just like little bites that still the real juicy, great stuff, when we get the multiverse, when that kind of stuff happens, when we get the X-Men, that's going to happen in a movie. Yeah. So let's move on to Raya and the Last Dragon. So this came out in theaters, but then also as a premium rental on Disney+. Plus. So it's $30 if you want to get it now on Disney+. Plus, Or you can wait. I think it's June is when it will be out on free for Disney+. Plus. We already talked a little bit about it that, you know, Angela, I think you were a little disappointed by it. And I, you know, I said, I, I think I was too, but again, I think Part of that is the hype machine that I put, <laughs> you know, a lot into this movie. I, I want to say first, I think it was a really good movie. I, and I know a lot of people, you know, I saw a lot of people, they really loved it. I also saw a lot of people that did say, I think kind of what you're saying is it was a solid movie, but it was lacking something. It was maybe a little bit rushed and we can, we can get into that. I will say, I think my biggest thing was, is the trailers and, and so many movie studios are doing this now where they don't want to give literally anything away in the trailer and they give you such a generic trailer that you have no clue what's happening and then that sets up for weird expectations for the movie you know the trailer made it seem like she is trying to find the last dragon when in actuality she gets that dragon so fast yeah she she gets the last dragon within like 15 minutes in the movie like it's you know years have passed no but it's like 15 but minutes of screen to us, time as the audience it does feel like she doesn't really do her due diligence to get there yeah so so i think that's probably what i was just most thrown off by is the fact that the trailers to me made it seem like it was the quest for the last dragon when in reality the dragon comes very early sisu voiced by aquafina and and the quest is really to get the dragon stone and so it just it ended up being a different movie than I expected. And so, again, that's kind of the risk movie studios play whenever you make these trailers so vague that you give no specifics is that people come in thinking it's going to be a different movie. Right. So, I mean, there's definitely a lot of positives to this movie. Oh, for sure. I mean, um, you know, I've been reading a lot and I kind of go through I've been going through several articles because I still am having a hard time putting my finger on exactly what it is about this movie that I don't like. But 
throughout, you know, reading about it, I have seen a lot of people, you know, what one thing that I think is really important about it is finally, you know, Southeast Asians have representation on screen. You know, they don't have to look to, you know, Mulan. They have something that Which looks is Chinese. Yeah. Like, and right, that looks, right. I mean, it looks more like them. So, you know, this is really, it's given them, um, and they, Disney, you know, did a, a really interesting job of, kind of melding in I read that you know there's some Vietnamese words in in the movie and and other types of cultures and um everything the one critique I heard about that and what's where some people are digging it for that is they have literally taken all those cultures and mishmashed them up and tried to represent everyone and so I you know understandably so you know you're not really accurately portraying necessarily one type of southeast asian you're trying to get everyone so you're not able to do like a deep dive into one and i think that's a good allegory i don't know if allegory is the correct term but for the entire movie in the fact that they try to do so much in the movie that you didn't get a deep dive really in anything but i i do want to just kind of jump off that point you know some of the positives like you said you know the representation of underrepresented groups I, i think is huge in here and one other thing before you go in there, um, speaking of underrepresented under groups, I ran across this in one of the articles. And I hadn't even really thought about it. Your three main characters are all female, pretty much, because you have Raya, you have Sisu, and then you have um, Namari. So you have three main characters that are, are female. So that's like unheard of. It, you know, it kind of just goes in Disney Animation's kind of recent history of having strong female leads I mean, with Frozen, Moana. Um, again, with Moana, that's another kind of underrepresented group in a movie. And also that there's no real antagonist in any of these movies. There's no real villain. Like It's not like the Disney movies of the 90s where you have an over-the-top evil villain anymore. I mean, Frozen really doesn't have one. Moana doesn't really have a villain. This doesn't really have a villain either. I mean, villain is the villain is just kind of the dream. mistrust. But yeah, but not yes. even that. I mean, it's just kind of mistrust amongst people. And so it, it's kind of a continuation of that. I will say the animation is just out of control it's on this. so good. The, the lighting and the background detail, what they can do with Baroque and, and blurring of the background and focal lengths in, in lenses through a computer is just absolutely phenomenal. Just to attest to this, we did a YouTube video not that long back when you showed me a one-second clip of all these Disney trailers that were coming up, and I got the Raya one wrong because I said it was live action. Exactly. So it looked so real to me that I thought it was real. So yeah, it, it, it is beautiful animation. It's a good story from, I think, conceptual. It's a good story. Right. And, I th- and you and I talked about this afterwards. You know, if you compare it to something like Moana, so Moana's journey was to essentially return the heart of the ocean. Yes. And sure, some speed bumps happened on the way, but she kind of had one goal and she went to a few different places, but it allowed you time to kind of get to know Moana, to get to know Maui. Plus, there was some music, which I think helped break it up. Whereas and it, there's a lot of comic relief in it, too, that was provided both by Moana and the other characters. You're exactly right. You know, and in this one, I think they kind of underutilized Aquafina. Sisu was, had some comedic moments in the beginning, but you're right. They could have used some more comedic moments throughout. But yeah, in, in Raya, it was, we have to get five pieces of the Dragonstone all together. And she picks up all these characters on the way. But it happened so quickly. Like she had to get so many pieces that in an hour and a half movie, you can't spend a lot of time doing it. And you pick up these characters and you're moving so quickly from area to area that you don't really have enough time to let them breathe and let them grow. And I think that's what we talked about was the biggest thing. Like it would have been better if it was three pieces. Right. And 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 again, this is where, you know, them trying to Disney trying to represent because each tribe essentially I think was supposed to be maybe a different southeastern uh, Asian culture. So I almost feel like because they tried to bring so much of that in and they, they were so, they wanted to do justice to that. They did sacrifice on story because you're right. If they had to get three pieces, those three pieces could have been harder to get, but because there were so many, she just kept getting them pretty quickly. Right. Cause yeah, if, if you look at, you know, story writing theory, you, you need to have some conflict and I get, right. I get her conflict was like Namari trying to stop her but even that wasn't great conflict. I mean, we talked about this. She literally didn't struggle at all to get 
any of the <laughs> Dragonstone pieces. And it would have almost been better, like we said, I think, if there was maybe three of them and you know, she got two of them, but then the third one was more of a challenge and she had to, you know, utilize the group more. It it just felt like that there wasn't enough conflict that at no point in time did I feel, oh, she's going to fail because it just happened so quickly. You know, I was thinking about it and, and I think part of the problem is, you know, we're adults and we're looking at this and I think Disney's running into this and it's not their fault, but as their initial fan base that were children grow up, they're riding this fine line where again, the animation is so incredible. We see it as a, I don't want to say real movie, but quote unquote real kind of adult movie with kind of deeper themes to it. But yet we have to remember these are movies still geared for children. And so it's got to be quick. It's got to be snappy. You know, the kids are going to like the funny thing Sisu did, and, and they don't really care about the conflict. And so it's riding that like fine line of, is it an adult movie? Is it a children's movie? And I just don't think this one. It doesn't hit the right balance. It, yeah, it doesn't hit the right balance. I think where it's like, you know, Pixar, a lot of the Pixar movies hit that balance a little bit better. I think it probably could use some music too to, it, to break it up. Yeah. Okay. So I think that that is just an excuse because Moana and Frozen 2, you know, the two more two of the more recent, you know, uh, Disney animation films uh, both did this because there is a moment you brought up. I think this might be why it didn't work for me. In this movie, it was when Sisu died. Uh, but the, the thing that's that's the problem is I, yeah, I never believed she would fail. So when Moana, what happens, like when she has that falling out with Maui and he goes away and she's just kind of stranded in the middle of the ocean, she has no direction. And then grandma's ghost comes back as the, as the, um, the manta ray, you know, that's that moment that, Hey, like everything's lost. And then, you know what? I'm going to still forge forward in frozen. It's when, and that really hits you. That that, that really hits you emotionally. That's a good point. Like her father turns to stone and she's driven by that, but. Yeah, it would have almost been better like if she had a sign from her father or something like some like a, some more emotional impact. I know the end, you know, whenever whenever she puts her trust in Namari and she kind of learns the lesson that Sisu's trying to be telling her that you need to trust people more. That trust is really the power here. That is supposed to be the emotional punch of it. But I, I think part of my problem was too is Raya caused a lot of her own problems. And, you know, in the first place. I mean, she started all of this for trusting people. So it was just, it was an odd mix because sometimes she trusts people and sometimes Sisu trusted people and it didn't work out. But then in the end, they trusted people and it still worked out. It's it's hard it whenever you create kinda, your own problems and it's a mixed message sometimes that it, it gets a little cloudy. Well, yeah. And it's, and it, it all comes down to this, them wanting to sell this theme really hard. And I read something, uh, you know, I, I, like I said, I was looking up things just to try to see if anybody could put it more eloquently than me. And, you know, RogerEbert.com, Brian Tallarico wrote an article about it. And he mentioned, you know, he loved the movie, but he did say, you know, this, uh, this is a rare criticism of the studio animation, but Raya and the Last Dragon can sometimes be almost too dense with theme. In particular, the film's last half hour has a habit of spelling out its ideas through dialogue more than it really needs to. The characters and storytelling are very strong, but I sometimes wish Raya would allow for more quiet development than the breakneck pacing uh, chosen by Hall and Estrada you know he mentions that yeah they kind of bash you over the head with that theme of trust versus distrust and because they do that um Again, I think it's it a feels little, forced. I think it's a little confusing because sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I mean, in the end, it worked. And I guess maybe that's part of the theme too: is that you know you trust people, and sometimes they disappoint you, but that doesn't mean you should stop trusting people. And, right. And, yeah, and I get that. That's good. And you know, Becky over at Disney in your day, who's been a frequent guest on the show, she wrote a review of Rye as well, and she mentioned kind of a similar thing that you know Zootopia. And I didn't really think of this before she before I read it, but Zootopia had a similar theme of kind of togetherness and yeah. overcoming differences. But she said she felt that Zootopia... It did it better. Did it better. And it fleshed it out more. And again, I think it I think it just goes to kind of what, what you were just saying from that review. It was a breakneck pace. Like, there was just... There was too much to do to assemble five pieces of the stone to... Like the Infinity Stone, all <laughs> assembled in one movie. Yeah, and you know what? That, no, but you know what? That's actually... <laughs> Infinity Gauntlet, yeah. That's actually a really good 
a really good point there. So if you look at Infinity War, that's a really good point. There's five Infinity Stones. But if you look at it, within five minutes of the movie, Thanos has two stones. We don't even see him getting the first stone. The second stone he gets from Thor within the first five to ten minutes of the movie. So really, and now that's a two and a half hour movie, so it's about an hour longer. But he's really only getting three stones across that movie. So that's a really good point. You're right. It would have almost been better if when we jumped six years ahead of time, she had two pieces of the stone. Yeah. You know, and and then maybe she got Sisu, and so she only had to get two more, and then she had to confront Namari. And I think that would have just given them more time. You could have gone to two lands and then Namari, and it would have given more time to build, build out those characters, build out the tension between Raya's character and and Namari and and kind of that whole theme of we need to trust each other and and there could have been more in there. Um, so that's actually a, a really good, I think, kind of link to Marvel of, of two different ways of doing it. Of Yeah, the breakneck pace and in a much shorter movie makes it a, a lot more difficult. Again, I think overall, I think I, I like this movie. I would maybe give it like a B, B minus. I mean, it wasn't the greatest movie I'd ever seen. I wouldn't be running out to watch it again. I definitely think if you are a fan of Disney animation, it's beautiful. If you're a fan of these other movies like Moana, I think you'll like it. I mean, it's definitely not a terrible movie. I mean, I think what's funny is Disney's worst movie is better than most animation studios greatest movie. So I think, you know, you really can't go wrong with this. And again, just the visuals of it, I think are worth it alone. But I, yeah, I, I wouldn't put this up above, you know, other recent movies like Zootopia, Frozen 2, Moana. I think it's probably just right below those. You know, there's a few more things I want to mention about this. You know, first of all, the voice acting is excellent. Uh, you know, everyone does an act, like a really great job, but I don't know if I'd ever say that it's bad. Like I'd never say that the, the voice acting is ever bad, but yeah, they did an excellent job. Their voices, you know, suited the characters really well. But again, going with this, and you've already mentioned this, Aquafina was so underutilized in this film that it was just disappointing because she's hilarious. She's so funny. I looked up another article from Austin Chronicle. Richard Will Whitaker wrote, what's a little surprising is how little Aquafina is given the com uh, given in the comedy realm. Rather than try for a big, memorable part like Robin Williams in Aladdin or Eddie Murphy in Mulan, she's allowed a little more space for understatement. It's it's necessary to keep her earnest since she embodies the film's core message that trust is the most important gift in the world. If she was playing everything for laughs, that admirable, if naive message would get lost. So like he's mentioning, you know, yeah, it might undercut her, but at the same time, yeah, it, it just felt like she needed to be more to me um, than she was besides cute merch. Cause she's going to be, I mean, she's going to be the cutest merch, like guarantee we go down to the parks and she's everywhere. Cause she's adorable. But everything was a little a little off. And even Raya herself, you know, a lot of people love that she is a, the first flawed Disney princess we get. I mean, she's the first one. I mean, Moana's stubborn, but it's like not a bad thing that she's stubborn. But she is very flawed in her, the fact that she's distrusting. And we see the origin of that. Again, yeah, we struggled throughout because we're like, well, she made this happen. <laughs> this is all her fault. But at the same time, I mean everyone's flawed and everyone makes terrible, horrible mistakes. And so you do have to kind of constantly remind yourself of, yeah, she's trying, they are doing a better job with her of representing like a real human than normally Disney films. Do. And maybe that's part of the problem is that it's too real. You know, people go to movies for escapism right. almost and maybe, maybe that's it hit right. too close to home. I now that you say that, I think maybe that is one of the reasons why I'm like, Hey, I, it's, you kind of made your own problems. I don't really, well, I'm not as invested in this, but maybe because, yes, well, it hits too close. Well, the drone reminded me a little bit of the coronavirus. Like, everything stops, and, you know, people are turned to stone. Now, not literally, but you can't see people. So I think that that was also it, is that the time that we're living in reminded me of this landscape that they're living in. So I didn't really want to be in it. As beautiful as it was, I didn't want to be there. It was uncomfortable. Yeah, you don't want to be in a, in a dystopian landscape whenever it's like the zombie apocalypse outside. <laughs> and that, that, you know, that is a good point that, you know, maybe the timing of it to that point, And also, like we said, when there's a vacuum of good content and movies out there, <laughs> you know, I mean, we, you and I go to 
probably 10 or 15 movies a year. I mean, we're, we're used to going to a lot of movies and Disney has a lot of movies out. So a lot of them are Marvel and star Wars movies and, you know, other things and, you know, Jurassic park movies. And, and a lot of those are big action blockbusters that are just like my numbing, eat your popcorn and just watch things <laughs> blow up. And so then whenever these more, you know, kind of subtle message driven movies come out, you really are like, Oh, it, it hits differently. And so I think, yeah, one that, one. That's th- usually my issue with P- Pixar. Like Soul was a beautiful movie, but it's not one that I want to watch and watch and watch and watch just because it is so um, deeply emotional and dealing with death. It's a hard topic, so for me, it's not my, the kind of escapism that I right. want. But those movies are are much more refreshing and stand out much more. Not not that these movies don't stand out and they're not good, but they stand out much more whenever you put them in a summer blockbuster series where you have dinosaurs eating people, (laughs) robot transformers blowing up the world. And then you have soul because you're like, Oh wow, this is refreshing. This isn't just another like CGI explosion, superhero movie, lightsaber fight, dinosaurs, and it's like, well, I just made up a movie. There. I was going to say, I would like to see robot dinosaurs with lightsabers now. Okay, exactly. <laughs> that would actually would do really well. So, but you know, but, but they hit differently. So I think to your point, one, the theme of it, maybe the there's dy- a planet in the galaxy that has that. The, <laughs> the dystopian theme of it is kind of something that is very near to real life now. So that's, makes it a little bit difficult. And again, the fact that this is the only movie that we had to look forward to for months is kind of like, again, you put so much into it that it's no matter how good it is, it's almost never going to live up to the yeah. expectations. I was, I was hard on this movie from the start. At first it was, it looks too much like a video game, but they obviously like they really improved the animation from that first trailer. And I think they did this like all remotely. I mean, they, yeah, they, they I think did this it was. during the pandemic, which is incredible that they were able to put this movie together and just, yeah, that it looked as beautiful as it did. Is it the greatest movie? No. Maybe we'll watch it again in a couple years after we watch <laughs> all of these other, you know, Transformers 15, whenever that comes out and stuff. And we, we watch You'll it again. You'll be watching that one on your own. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and maybe you know, on, a, on a revisit, this is one that improves. But again, I do think some of these other movies that we talked about, especially in recent Disney animation. They just outshine this They one just do it a little bit me, better. Yeah. Me. Yeah. I think that that is a really good... Uh, thing to kind of end on there is just that you know it just it's just too close to home and maybe a little too much theme and also really well done but for me you said you would give it a i I would like a b minus or yeah i'd go b b minus i think i'd give it a c like and i'm rating it against you know disney against itself i think this is a c it's a solid movie i would watch it again but is it going to be one like Frozen 2 where I watch it and watch it and watch it and watch so it? So it's a Disney C, but like compared to the Emoji movie, it's an A++. <laughs> so there you go. All right. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think that, that kind of wraps up. We'd love to hear what your thoughts are on it because, again, like I said, I've seen a lot of people have loved it. A lot of people have been like, eh, it, you know, it's okay. I don't think anybody has outright hated it, and I don't think there's any reason to hate it. It's not a terrible movie by any means. But we'd love to hear your thoughts on Raya, your thoughts on WandaVision, uh, let us know over on our Facebook page. We are Enchanted Ears over on Facebook. want to thank everybody again for listening this week. Thanks for lending us your ears. We really appreciate it, and we'll see you here next Monday. Bye-bye.